Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Isaiah. The Old Testament book of Isaiah. And Isaiah in chapter number 55. Isaiah and chapter number 55. We're progressing forward inside of our series of the Millennial Kingdom. And we're exploring the Millennial Kingdom, starting to hit the nuts and bolts of how it works, who's entailed, how's it work, what's the government going to be like, who's going to be in charge. Those are good questions that we want to answer. But we're going to take a little bit of a detour and hit an overall theme of the Millennial Kingdom and make an application to us today. And we find it in the book of Isaiah and chapter number 55. The book of Isaiah and chapter number 55. Notice what the word of God says, Isaiah 55. Notice with me in starting at verse 1. Isaiah 55 and verse 1. Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come buy, come ye buy and eat. Yea, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Wherefore do ye spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which is satisfieth not? Hearken diligently unto me, and eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. Incline your ear, and come unto me. Here and your soul shall live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David." Behold, I have given him for a witness to the people, a leader and commander to the people. Behold, thou shalt call a nation that thou knowest not, and nations that knew not thee shall run unto thee because of the Lord thy God, and for the Holy One of Israel, for he glorifieth thee. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord. And he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that that goeth forth out of my mouth, and it shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper the thing whereto I sent it. For ye shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains of the hills shall break forth before you into singing, and all the trees of the field 
fields shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the fir tree, and instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree, and it shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. And if you don't mind, inside of this, notice what it says in verse number 12. For ye shall go out with joy. For ye shall go out with joy. And in this, clearly, verse 12 and 13 is referring to a time called the millennial kingdom. And even though this is speaking about the millennial kingdom, we also see three things here that show us why we don't have to wait to the millennial kingdom to rejoice. Instead, we can rejoice today. Why can, why we can rejoice now? And so if you don't mind, I'd like to preach to you a message based off that idea, why we can rejoice now. We don't have to wait to the millennial kingdom to rejoice. We can be rejoicing now. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to you, I'm just asking that you would give us grace and that you would give us mercy, that you would just help us even now as we walk through this passage and that we preach this message, that you would just draw people close to you, that we could see that you're a wonderful God who loves us and that you care for us. I'm asking that we would see more about you tonight and that we would look at you and go, wow. And just like this passage says that we could rejoice, we could clap our hands with singing, we could be so excited for what you were doing. We don't have to wait to the millennial kingdom, but we could rejoice right now because of whom you are and what you've done for us. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things that we're going to see as we later on study the millennial kingdom in detail is that one of the main characteristics of the millennial kingdom is that it will be a place of rejoicing. It will be a place of rejoicing. There will be a lot of reason to rejoice inside of the millennial kingdom. That there will be peace. There will be no more war. That things will be settled. Jesus will be God. And not just God. He'll be king. We'll have a perfect government. Satan will be locked away. That the world will be transformed to the Garden of Eden conditions. There are so much to rejoice over inside of the millennial kingdom. But this passage here will give us a reminder that we don't have to wait till we get to the millennial kingdom. You don't have to walk around right now looking like you've been sucking on lemons and been soak, uh, soaking into pickle juice. You can rejoice right now. And in this passage, it's going to give us three reasons why we don't have to wait to the millennial kingdom, why we could rejoice right now. If you don't mind, the very first reason that we could rejoice right now is his salvation is free. His salvation is free. Now remember that whenever we study the Bible, we also have to pay attention to the context. And if you don't mind, part of the context is going to go back to the couple chapters before Isaiah 55. If you don't mind, turn with me to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. And in Isaiah 53 and Isaiah 54, God is taking us through his marketplace. And he is allowing us to get a glimpse to see some of the things that are available. Now, I don't know if you've ever done any shopping. There's something they call window shopping. And inside of window shopping, you don't have any money. You can't afford anything. You go and look with your hands behind your back because you don't want to break anything and then have to buy it. And so you look. 
and you observe what's in the window and you see the things that's in there and you look and go, wow, that would be nice. Oh, I could see me using that. Oh, this would be wonderful to have. And you could walk through and observe and see all the wonderful things. Well, in Isaiah chapter 53 and Isaiah chapter 54, God gives us some wonderful things that we could observe, some wonderful things that we could look at, some wonderful things that God has prepared. And if you don't mind, let's just take a quick look at some of these things that we find inside of the window. Isaiah 53 in verse number one. Who hath believed our report and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and and we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shearers is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. And the transgression of my people is he stricken. He made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence, neither was deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. And he was put to him to grief. When thou shalt make him his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, and he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Isaiah 53 is the, one of the most powerful passages in all of the word of God. Martin Luther once said that Isaiah 53 needs to be printed on sheets of gold and encrusted around with precious jewels. It is that precious. In Isaiah 53, it speaks about the Lord Jesus Christ who came and bore our iniquities upon him. He came to pay for my sin debt. The Bible says for all of sin to come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. For the wages of sin is death. That because of my sin, I owe God a great price. And here Jesus Christ came and he purchased, he bought my price. He was bruised for my iniquity. Notice again what it says in verse 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. Notice the possessive word for us. Our, we in here. He was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. Here Jesus Christ went and paid the price he paid this price on our behalf. As we go on and look at Isaiah 54. Notice in Isaiah 54. So Isaiah 53, it speaks about that God shows us the love of God at Calvary. That Jesus Christ paid 
and bore our transgressions, bore our price. The chastisement of our peace was laid upon him. Isaiah 54, it goes on and shows us some more about the love of God and shows us the mercy and the love of God. Notice with me in Isaiah 54 and verse 7. For a small moment I have forsaken thee, but with great mercies I will gather thee. In a little wrath I hid my face for thee for a moment, but with everlasting kindness I will have mercy on thee, saith the Lord, my re- the Redeemer. Here we have a wonderful thing that God has says, I am willing to show you mercy. You deserve punishment, but I want to give you mercy. I want to make it available for you because of the love that I have. I want to give you mercy, but with everlasting kindness. And dear friend, that's what we need is we need mercy because we all deserve to go to hell. We all deserve to be separated from God. We deserve because of our sins to be separated from him. And yet Isaiah 53, it says that Jesus Christ was willing to pay our iniquities. He was bruised for our iniquities. He, for the chastisement of our peace. Jesus Christ bore that burden. Isaiah 53, 54, it speaks about that God is willing to give us mercy. That even though we deserve these things, he's willing to give us mercy. And yet, We talk about God's forgiveness, that he is willing to pay the price, that God is willing to show us mercy. And then turn with me to Isaiah 55. So as we've gone window shopping and we've looked at some of these great stores and say, man, I wish I could have my iniquities taken care of. I wish that the sins that I owed God could have been paid. I wish I could have this mercy. This mercy sounds so great. But this is God talking about and that my sins are so much. How can I ever afford this of myself? How can I ever take care of this? Well, notice what God says about this world's greatest sale, Isaiah 55 and verse 1. Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, and he that hath, notice this, no money, no money, come ye buy and eat. Yea, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. What we have is the world's greatest sale. What's available? God's forgiveness. What's available? God's mercy. And God has given it to us in the low, low price of free. Back in 1990, USA Today did a research poll of the top 1% of wealth in the world, or in America. The top 1%. I forgot what the statistics was. They, they had to pull in like a Uh, a quarter of a million dollars every year to be part of this. Uh, (laughs) They were getting tons of money. And so they asked these people if they could buy anything with money, whether it's real or fantastical, if they could buy anything, what would they buy and how much would they be willing to pay for it? And so on this list, you would have things like true love and they would be willing to pay like a quarter of a million dollars for true love. They would pray for things like eternal youth and they were willing to pay a certain amount for eternal youth. They would say natural talent and they were willing to pay something for natural talent. But above all in the top 1% of wealth in America that was polled asked if they could have anything, anything and what they would be willing to pay for it high above, number one, above everything else was a home in heaven, 
a guaranteed spot in heaven. And they would be willing to pay to be guaranteed a spot in heaven at the low, low price of $1 million. That the 1% of wealth in this world were pulled and they said they would be willing to give $1 million to be guaranteed a place in heaven. Now, the last time I looked, we don't have any millionaires in here. In fact, the last time I looked, I doubt if we have any thousandaires in here. So if the price to get into heaven was ever put at $1 million, most of us would never be able to make it. There'd be no way we'd be able to save that amount of money. There'd be no way that we'd be able to secure that amount of money. There'd be no way that we would be able to pay for that, even if we saved and scrimped. And so if there was a price tag of a million dollars, we wouldn't be able to make it. And think about how wonderful heaven would be. Think about how wonderful it would be to be able to go there. And as we were looking at window shopping as if we were in a Rodeo Drive or if you're in a great fancy place in Paris or maybe you were over in New York and to be able to look and say, oh man, I would love to have that, but there's no way I could have it. We look and see that Jesus Christ is willing to give forgiveness. He's willing to pay our the price that was owed. We can look and see that God has mercy and mercy abundant. And we say, I'd love to have forgiveness and I'd love to have mercy. But the problem is, is that I'm spiritually bankrupt. I don't have a million dollars. There's no way I could buy it of myself. There's no way I could get it of myself. It's beyond my price range. God says, let me tell you what I'm going to do. Verse 53, oh, everyone that thirsteth. Oh, you want this? You're thirsting for it. This is something you desire. Everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. And he that hath no money, that's us. Come ye, buy and eat. Come buy wine and drink without money and without price. We have the world's greatest sale. That God says that he's willing to give us the salvation. He's willing to give us his mercy for the low, low price of free. That God is willing to forgive us of all of our sins. To give us a home in heaven for free. The Bible says in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That we have a wonderful God who's willing to forgive us of all of our sins for free. That he paid the price. You don't have to turn there. Let me read it to you. The book of Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9. The Bible says this. In Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 it says, For by grace are, are ye saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works lest any man should boast. God says, I'm willing to give you this for free. And that way if it's free, the only one we could brag about is God. If we could somehow earn our way to heaven, we go to heaven and say, how'd you get here? Well, I paid a million dollars. How'd you get here? Well, I climbed all these steps with my knees. How'd you get here? I slayed a dragon. How'd you get here? I was a good person. Well, because God is giving it away for free, the answer is going to be the same. I don't deserve to be here. The only way that I'm here is because Jesus Christ gave me this free gift. That God gave me this free gift. I don't deserve to be here. And that God is the one who gets the credit because he's the one who gave us this gift. The low, low price of free. First of all, we see, why can we rejoice now? We don't have to wait to the millennial kingdom. Why is it that we could rejoice now? 
Because his salvation is free. His salvation is free. He's willing to give it to us for the low, low price of free. As we turn back to Isaiah 55, we find something else here. That not only, why can we rejoice right now? We don't have to wait to the millennial kingdom. First of all, his salvation is free. But a second thing, his mercy is for me. His mercy is for me. Notice with me in Isaiah 55 and verse number 6. Isaiah 55 and verse number 6. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. We understand that right now is the time to seek the Lord. Don't wait for later on. By the way, this is why we give an invitation. We want people to respond to God. Now why God is calling. Now why God is speaking. Don't put it off. If God is speaking to you, respond to him. Draw to him. Follow up with what God has given to you. Because now is the time to do it. There is no guarantee that you'll get a call ever again. There's no guarantee that God would present his salvation to you ever again. Because what could happen? We could walk out these doors and be in a car accident. We could walk out these doors and suffer through a stroke. We don't have tomorrow guaranteed to us. Now is the time to respond. And the Bible says, seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. We are, have our responsibility to respond to God while he is calling. What is he calling about? Verse number 7. Let the wicked forsake his way. And the righteous, unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord. And he will have mercy upon him. And to our God. For he will abundantly pardon. Verse number seven, you know what God's saying? He says, if you have wickedness, turn from your wicked way. Call upon him now. Now's the time to change. Don't turn over a new leaf tomorrow. Not wait till New Year's to make a resolution. Now why God is calling, make the decision. He wants to give you mercy. It says, let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy upon him. What is God's mercy? God's mercy is not giving to us what we do deserve. We deserve to be in hell. But it is of God's mercies that we are not consumed. It is of God's mercies that we're upright right now. God has abundant mercy. And notice what he wants to do with that abundant mercy. He says, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy upon him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Abundantly pardon. Notice, he won't just pardon. He will abundantly pardon. You know, this is something no man can do for another. Another man cannot pardon someone's sin against God. That sin is against God. Only God can pardon that sin. No man can step in the way. No man can absolve you. No man can wipe that clean. But God can. And God is so complete in it that he will abundantly pardon. He will take all of your sins and cast them as far as the east is from the west. If you took a globe and you kept going west, 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 you'll never come east. You know, if you went north, you could go north, 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 and you go north enough that you finally start going south. But the east and the west never meet. There's never a time where you go west, 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 and you start turning east. They are inseparable. For those of you who like trigonometry, they are a 
line that goes on either side. They will never meet again. There's no stopping place. They continue to go. God has also said what he's done. He's buried our sins in the deepest sea. The deepest part of the ocean is the Peruvian Trench. And in that you could put Mount Everest down into this basin and there still be a couple of miles of water above the mountaintop. And that's where he put my sins. He put them somewhere where no one could ever find them. No one could ever dig them up. No one could ever bring them. He has cast them far from me. They're gone, gone, gone. Yes, my sins are gone. I'm so thankful that he has made them gone. He has buried them in the deeps of the sea. Yes, that's good enough for me. I shall live with him eternally. Praise God. My sins are G-O-N-E, gone. Oh, he will abundantly pardon. He will take care of them. He'll pay for our price. He has buried him in the deepest sea. Oh, what a wonderful God that we have. His mercy is for me. Oh, but there's one more thing in here. Why is it that we can rejoice right now? Why is it that we don't have to wait to the millennial kingdom? Well, first of all, his salvation is free. That the low, low price is free. That for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's a free gift that God is willing to give you. Not only is salvation for free, but his mercy is for me. His mercy is for me. But what's another reason why we don't have to wait to the millennial kingdom? Why is it that we could rejoice right now? A third reason we find in Isaiah 55 is that God's word never fails. God's word never fails. Notice with me, if you don't mind, and we see three things here about God's word. First of all, we see the authority of God's word. The authority of God's word. Notice with me in verse 8. For my thoughts, this is God that's speaking here, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. What does that mean? That God doesn't think the way that we do. His thoughts process is different than the way we think. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways. God doesn't do things the way that we do it. If, we, if God operated the way that we thought and, uh, and did things the way we would do it, this whole place would be ruined. There are a lot of times that we don't know what's best for us. We like to think we do. But God knows what's best. And he does things differently than the way that we would do it. We want God to wave a magic wand and make everything better. That's not how God works. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Verse number nine. <laughs> Verse number eight here, we see that God's thoughts are not our thoughts. How do we know God's thoughts, by the way? God's word. Whenever you open up the Bible, you're opening up the mind of God. What we're doing is we're seeing what God is thinking about in the book of Isaiah. This is how we find out God's thoughts. This is how God communicates with us what he is thinking about. We have God's thoughts here. This is the wonderful thing about God's word is that we don't have to wonder about thinking about. I don't know, for those of you who've been married, sometimes you look at your spouse and go, I wonder what they're thinking about. Probably what you think they're thinking about is not what they're thinking about. My mind's pretty simple. I may be thinking about cookies. My wife's like, what is he thinking about? God doesn't think the way that we do either. But we can find God's thoughts. We can find out what he is thinking through his word. I'm so thankful that God has given us words. Not only the authority of God's word, but the magnitude of God's word. The magnitude of God's word. Notice with me verse 9. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your heart. 
thoughts. Notice how far removed God's thinking is from us. He says, just as heaven is from the earth. Think about the distance. Can you even measure the distance between heaven and earth? Well, God says, that's how completely different my thoughts are than your thoughts. They're higher than your thoughts. My ways are higher than your than your ways. God knows what he's doing. He has a clear picture of everything. Do you know that God is outside of time? In fact, God created time. That means all of the time stream from beginning to end fits in the palm of his hand. We think time is a big thing because we're stuck in it and we look at things behind and we look at things for the future and it blows our mind. Have you ever tried to think about what it would be like to be in eternity and our minds just frizzle? Well, to God, he's outside of time. He sees everything all at once. And because he sees everything all at once, he knows how to direct our path. He is higher. He has a better view. He sees the end from the beginning. He has more information. One of our problems is that we're limited on information. We don't know enough. Did you ever consider that you don't know of half of everything that needs to be known? Have you ever considered you don't even know a quarter of everything that could be known? We are very limited on, on our information. But God knows everything. He sees everything. He is higher than our ways. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts because he has the complete picture. And because he has the complete picture, he knows what needs to be done and what needs to be accomplished. We see the magnitude of God's word that he knows what he's doing because he sees it. Even, have you ever got to the place where you said, well, I know what's good for me. And the Bible says something different because God sees a better picture than you. He knows what you need. What a wonderful God that we have. Notice if you don't mind. They're the effect of God's word. Now this is good stuff. Notice with me verse 10. In verse 10 it begins to give what we call the water cycle. Notice with me verse 10. For as the rain cometh down and snow from heaven and returneth not thither. So what does that mean? So when it rains or Wisconsin when we get all of our snow. When the snow hits the ground, when it's done, it doesn't just go back up. All right? It doesn't snow in reverse. As much as we would like it to do that here, it doesn't snow in reverse. So where does the water go? Well, notice as it goes on. Verse 10, for as the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth and maketh it bring forth and bud. So what happens to the water? The water goes deep into the soil. And as it goes deep into the soil, it begins to water the plants. You guys remember in kindergarten, first grade, when you had the kidney bean that you brought home and you put the bean in there into the soil in a styrofoam cup and you set it down by the window and you put some water in it and you stare at it. Come on, grow. And nothing happens. And then after five minutes, you give up and go do something else. And then you keep checking on it. Nothing's happening. Nothing's happening. A lot is happening that you can't see. That the water is starting to water the plant. The plant underneath the soil is beginning to grow roots. And it's beginning to get deeper and deeper. Before anything ever pops up from the stem, there's already been a lot of accomplished being worked and done that you can't even see. And one day you go and check on it in the sunlight and there's a little green plant. Looky, looky, looky here. And you go show someone to drop it. But... You guys remember that experiment. You stare at the plant and you're waiting for it. And you're looking at it. What's happening? What's happening? There's a lot happening underneath the surface that you cannot see. And that's exactly what's happening 
Verse number 10, for as the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth and maketh it bring forth and bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So, so notice in verse number 10, you had four and verse number 11. So what you're doing is you're doing a comparison just like this event. So this is just like this. So just like the water table where the water comes down, hits the earth and begins to do a work before the plant even comes up. So shall my word that goeth forth from my mouth, it shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please and it shall prosper in the thing which I sent it. Notice we, the Bible comes from God's mouth. This is God's thoughts and this is God's words. God has given us his word and this is the very word of God. This is why we should treat the Bible respectfully. This is why we should honor the Bible. This isn't my thoughts. This is God's words, God's thoughts that he has given to me. This is 66 love letters from heaven that God has told us more about himself. This comes from God. And just like the rain, we know that the Bible washes us clean. The Bible speaks about that. The snow, it covers us and makes us white as snow, covers up our sin. But then the water soaks into the earth and it begins to do a work. And before anyone is ever changed on the outside, God has been doing a work on the inside. And that his word is accomplishing something. And God said his word will never return void. That word never means never. We can trust God's word to get its own work accomplished. Now, just like the plant, it's not instant. It's not a thing where I preach the Bible and someone just, oh, my whole life is ruining, take off, rip, rip, and they step out a brand new person and say, look, I'm completely changed immediately. But God is doing a work. And we could trust his word. This is why getting more of God's word into us is the greatest thing to happen. The greatest thing you could do on a daily basis is to read the word of God for yourself. By the way, the more the word of God that you put into it, the more that you're expecting God to work. We can trust God's word. The greatest thing you can do on a daily basis is to read the word of God for yourself. How much do I read, preacher? Just one verse? No. One chapter? No. You read until you're saturated. You read until the water can't get in there anymore. You read and you will watch God be doing a work that cannot be seen. And eventually by the time it is seen, there's a lot of work that God has got accomplished. God's word will do its work. Sometimes the greatest thing you could do is just give them the word of God. When your logic won't work, when your intellect will fail, when your oratory skills is not enough to convince someone, God's word will get it accomplished. We can trust God's word. This is why here we believe in biblical preaching. Not what I come up with, not what's on my heart. What does God's word have to say? Because God's word will do its own work. We can trust it. We can trust it. This is one of the reasons why we can rejoice now. Why is it that I don't have to wait to the millennial kingdom? First of all, because of salvation is free. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. He is want, Jesus wants to see so many people go into heaven, he's just giving it away. And all we have to do is receive it for ourselves. It is a free gift. You don't have to buy anything with it. It is free. Just come and eat. Come and die. Why else can we rejoice 
because his mercy is for me. I have a God that will abundantly pardon, who will forgive me of my sins and he will do it freely. And he wants to forgive me. He wants to wash my sins away. He wants me to be right with him. I can be right with God. and You can be right with God and you need to call upon God now while he is near. Don't wait and don't put it off. Now is the time to get thoroughly right. Now's the time to accept him. Now's the time to get the mercy. What's another reason why I don't have to wait to the millennial kingdom, but I could rejoice now is because God's word never fails. God's word never fails. We could trust God's word to do its work. You say, I don't understand how it works. God's ways are above your ways and his thoughts are above his thoughts. God knows what he's doing. God's word will get it accomplished. But I don't see yet trust that God's word will do its work. Give them the word of God. Give them the word of God. Yeah, but I thought it would explain. No, give them the word of God. Give them the word of God. God's word will do a work more than you could ever imagine. More than you could ever expect. And God's word will do a work in your own life. That's why the greatest thing you could do on a daily basis is to be in the word of God for yourself. And whenever you're not in God's word, that's less that God is doing in your life. Do you want to change? Do you want to have your life fixed from where it's at? Get into God's word. Let God's word do a work. This is why we're suspicious. This is why we're brokenhearted. This is why we're careful around people who don't read their Bibles. Because we understand God's not doing a work that God would like to do. They need to be in the Bible for themselves. Let God's work do its perfect work. You say, how does it work? God's ways are above our ways. His thoughts are above his thoughts. But he promised that it will not return void. And we can trust him. This is why we can rejoice in God right now. We don't have to wait to the millennial kingdom. We can enjoy the life that God has given to us. We can enjoy the day that God has given to us. Day by day by day knowing that his salvation is for free. His mercy is for me. And God's word never fails. What do you do with this? Well, first of all, dear friend, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal savior, may I say that now is the time. Now is the time. Don't put them off any longer. It'd be our privilege to take the Bible and to show you from God's word how you can know for sure that your sins are forgiven and that your sins could be washed clean. For those of you who are saved, Are you living in God's mercy? You know, you don't have to remain dirty and filthy of sin. 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He's willing to keep you cleansed. Even after you get saved, you still need to take regular showers, regular baths, that you need to be confessed up. That remember, when we're confessing, we're not telling on ourselves. The word confess means to agree with. We're just confessing and agreeing with God with what he already knows. He already knows what you did. He's just trying to get you to admit it so he can wash you clean. Whenever we start getting honest with God, it's amazing to see how clean we will finally be. And then God's word never fails. Dear friend, if you are not in a great habit of reading the Bible, or maybe you know that God wants you to start reading some more. Maybe you need to make a real decision, personal, practical, and measurable. When are you going to read your Bible tomorrow? Where are you going to read your Bible? How long are you going to read your Bible? Set an appointment. Keep that appointment time. Just like you would keep with a doctor. If I ask you in a little bit, when are you going to read your Bible tomorrow? Can you tell me where, when, how? 
You should be able to do it. I'm going to read my Bible every day at my kitchen table at seven o'clock in the morning. And I'm going to read for 15 minutes. I'm going to read three chapters. I'm going to read five chapters. I'm a a mature Christian. I'm going to read my Bible tomorrow at seven o'clock with coffee and with And I'm going to read 10 chapters. And then after that, I'm going to spend 30 minutes in prayer. What is your routine? Can you set an appointment, a time and a place? You need to set that. That's a specific decision. And while God is calling you, why God's gotten you attention. If you're out there saying, I need to read my Bible more. And you don't make a decision like this. If you just say, well, Lord, help me to read my Bible. You didn't make a decision. You didn't respond to God properly. Make a decision. When are you going to read your Bible? How long are you going to read your Bible? Where at are you going to read your Bible? That's the decision that you need to make. Make a decision for God and let God do a work. And God's word will not return void. When you start getting into God's word for yourself, amazing things will start happening. Because God's word never fails. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.